It's time for episode 477 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where time flies like an arrow and fly balls are caught by an outfielder. My name is Dan Moore and I'm joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my co-host, my dungeon buddy. It is the one and only Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I'm doing well. I'm not. I, that's probably a funny joke that you did. And oh, okay. So, <laughs> probably. Uh, there's, there's laughter from the people who get it. <laughs> we'll fix that in post. We'll have a little, we'll have <laughs> our editor put a little laughter there. in. But we will not need any laughter for our next guest. To my left this week, it is our favorite Slovenian writer, journalist, podcaster. It's Andrzej Tomic. Welcome back, Andrzej. I got the joke and about four people play baseball here. So (laughs) That's not even enough for a team, Andrzej. (laughs) Oh, boy. Joining us as well, uh, another bucket of laughs, a podcast producer and creative director. It's Christopher Finn. Welcome back, Christopher. Micah, how are you the one who sounds really, really tired when Dan's the one with a four-month-old child? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What did you say? What jokes? I don't get them. (laughs) Well, I'm going to use that as a great place to kick it off. I want to ask, how, if at all, do you integrate tech into your kids' lives in a positive way? Uh, I know we hear a lot about the risks of technology and kids, but I'm kind of curious about positive experiences. And Micah, I know you don't have kids, but I will accept an answer about the dogs. So we'll, we'll caveat that. Anjay, let's start with you. The one thing that really has been kind of great, I have a, a Google Home speaker. And now with the kids, because be, we basically use it to kind of play them bedtime stories. Because we have this great show where I work at the public broadcaster. We have this great show. It's literally called like a good night children. So they'll have like proper actors, right? Just read a bedtime story. Well, reads kind of underselling it, like interpret a bedtime story for like, like really little kids because they're like mine are two and four and a half, right? And I think that's an actual positive, right? Because like there's no ads. It's just a, basically we just do a a podcast feed and we'll throw it to the Google Home, right? Thing. And, And it works and like they're happy and they listen to like quality sort of storytelling, not just me making stuff up. (laughs) where I have like a whole series of stories about a snake called Nusha, which are so terrible, but my daughter kind of loves them. So I have to keep telling them. So yeah, the Google home for bedtime stories. Like I I genuinely, like it's so great for that. It's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it really took me by surprise how well it works for that. Yeah. For me, I would say there are a couple of ways. Uh, My dogs have two very small dogs, so they do get cold. And their father likes to keep a cold house. I've got a fireplace that is a gas fireplace, so it has like a switch on the wall that can turn on and off. And one of my two dogs loves to sit in front of the fireplace. So what I do is I've got a timer set so that it comes on, she can hang out in front of it and nearly cook her brain, but it goes off before it ever gets to a bad place uh, where I'm like, oh no. Uh, Outside of that, I also, whenever we leave the house, both of us, um, I will play... 
uh, classical music, not because I think that they're going to become, you know, baby geniuses from listening to classical music, <laughs> but because classical music tends to be pretty calming and it is, uh, it just kind of provides a low sound for them to listen to and focus on instead of the sounds from outside that could end up, end up setting them off. You know, oh, the delivery person's here. Now I've got to <laughs> let everybody know about that. Uh, with those, with the classical music playing, it kind of, uh, keeps them from doing that. Uh, but Chris, I'm curious about your elf on a shelf. No, I kid. So my daughter is now seven and a half. Uh, The Christmas after her second birthday, we gave her an iPod Touch. She's basically had one in her hand since she was uh, in kindergarten. Look at how I I localized my content for you. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know what? We take a very loose approach to technology. We don't think technology is good or bad. Um, The only thing we have a hard line on is that she's not allowed to watch YouTube unsupervised. So we all got to be there because I, I don't trust the algorithm won't suddenly serve up something absolutely yeah. mad. Um, but she's allowed to watch kids YouTube. Now kids YouTube is imperfect, but I am broadly happy, um, especially if she's like, you know, in her room and I can sort of hear what she's doing. I'm broadly happy with that. So my kind of approach is uh, have at it, uh, do pretty much whatever you like. And she's had so much from this. She's, she's creative with it. She like watches really, really fascinating little, uh, um, educational videos and tells me all about it. I'm confident that we've made the right choice because for the first year and a half, two years, she had that thing. She barely touched it. And even now it's very much a part of the things that she likes to do and not just the thing that she goes to. It's not, you know, put that screen. We've never fetishized it and uh, said, no, you can't do that. And I, because I worry that if you do do that, then a, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy of the highest order, <laughs> given that my <laughs> weekly screen report shows that I'm on my, I'm in front of screens for like 10, 12 hours a day. But also because there's good stuff there and encouraging her to engage with that tech in a, a, a responsible and um, useful way, I think is a good thing. The thing that we've been relying on really a lot right now, which I quite enjoy, is a thing called the Hatch Rest, which is basically a combination Bluetooth speaker and nightlight. Um, And essentially, it doesn't play any audio, so it's not like a normal Bluetooth speaker. But what it does is has a variety of like white noisy type things, rain Uh. falling, waves, you know, birds chirping that. And it has an adjustable LED in it. So you can set it to different colors and set it to different intensities. And you can also do one of those things where you set it on a timer so that at certain times, you know, it turns different colors so that when the kid gets a little older, they can tell like, is it okay to get up? Yes. No, I've heard I've heard this is key. But right now it's been critical for like just naps because the white noise is just huge yeah. for being able to like, I mean, and as and I worry a little bit about dependency, but then again, I'm also an adult who loves to sleep with a fan on because I too love white noise and I just totally conk yeah. out. So having that ability to be able to like turn that on and adjust it even remotely, like even at night sometimes, um, you know, be able to turn it up uh, when we have it on, often set on like a red color so it doesn't like screw with our dark vision as much and we can turn it up and sort of see if something's going on without turning on the bright lights and, and blinding everybody all of that has been pretty critical and then you know you, we've a lot of talk about cameras and stuff i mean we have a baby monitor i think as i've mentioned before it's a eufy space view pro and what i like about it is that it's your classic 
RF powered baby monitor. So it's not online. It's not connected to the internet. It's just, you have a little monitor device, you have a camera. Uh, and so that way you don't have to worry as much about security concerns and stuff like that. So I appreciate that a lot. It's been, takes a lot of the stress out of like being out of the room and being able to just turn it on and check. And it's got like the night vision mode and all of that. So, um, those have been really big uh, quality of life improvements for us, at least, when it comes to dealing with the kid. Um, the kid doesn't have a lot of exposure to technology. So, <laughs> yeah, so far, so good, I guess, in that. Uh, thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Anjay. All right. So do you have a piece of non-working or just not plugged in tech in your home just because it looks good? Just purely for aesthetics purposes. And if you don't, what would you display to kind of just... As an artifact in your home. Ah, Michael? sort of like a museum item. Um, I used to, because I, I, I used to live in Missouri where you could get a three-bedroom home and it didn't <laughs> cost you $30 trillion. Um, and so I did have kind of all of my old gadgets uh, just sat on a shelf that was for old gadgets. So I had, you know, old iPhones with... Um, little stands and all that kind of thing. Uh, these days, though, uh, there's not really room for all of that stuff. So I don't have anything on display that is not also uh, functional. But I guess if I was to uh, rock anything, um, it would be like an original iPad and an iPhone, which I don't have. Um, I've never... I. I did at one point have the original iPad. I never had the original iPhone, but if I somehow came across those, I think I would have them on display somewhere in the home. I think they're pretty cool. Or those um, those cool frames where they've got the deconstructed mm. phones. I think those are pretty oh, yeah. neat. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? Wow, that's a very nice question for me to answer because <laughs> <laughs> I'm surrounded by that sort of stuff. Um, I used to write a retro tech column for Mac World, which was a terrible idea because it meant that my uh, eBay habit was absolutely enabled. Uh, and I've got just, t so there's an original iPad behind me all the time. There's a beautiful iMac G4 up on the shelf. Mm. There's a, an open G5, those beautiful internals there a cube behind me. I've got a trio that sits, uh, sorry, a Pam Tungsten W sitting behind me, a uh, Sony Ericsson T28, a uh, Sony CMDZ7, just, I, 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 oh, an E-Mate. I've got like um, Newton wooden prototypes that I adore, uh, old rubbish uh, PCs, uh, power computing, the, the old uh, Mac clones. I could go on for a very long time. I love this stuff. I love it because it was always beautiful. It was always stunning design. Um, and I also love it because I really wanted it when I was a teenager and I couldn't afford it. And now it costs 20 pounds. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What do we count as vintage technology? Do we count uh, boxes for Apple products? I got a lot of those behind me on display, um, despite my wife's best attempts to make me throw them out. Uh, I don't, I'm more like Micah in this regard. I don't tend to have a lot of old tech on display. I do have some of those items. I do have an original iPhone. Um, I think I got rid of my original iPad, but I have a couple of the early iPhones. I think the iPhone through the 3GS maybe. Um, I don't really have them displayed. They're in the boxes on the shelves behind me, but I, I just don't have a place. I think the biggest concern for me with all this stuff is like dust collection. Like I just don't want to dust stuff. And so having this stuff out <laughs> just all collects it. And I just like, oh, that's just too much to worry about. Um, but I, I think if I were going for something to have on display, it would be something 
like kind of from like the classic i'm thinking like the dita Ram school of like design you know like uh he made the like all these great like brawn design stuff from like the 60s and and i thought like there's something about that sort of classic timeless design to like i don't know radios and stuff my dad for a long time had this uh coffee grinder that was like this classic brawn coffee grinder which had that like super simplicity it was just like a white cylinder with an orange button on it um i kind of appreciate that that aesthetic of like the super sort of stylized simple like modern-ish look from like the mid-century Anjay, i assume you have some thoughts you can wrap us up here <laughs> no uh, the, the reason i asked this question because i was writing something and i came across this uh, slovenian phone that really got knocked off i don't know in the 80s or 70s i don't really know it's in the moma the the museum in new york because mm. it's such a like a like a beautiful piece you know, and, and, and I, and I saw one of those at a friend's house and it was just there. And I'm like, why do you have, and I said, Oh, this is nice. It's like a classic phone. And he said, no, 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 still works. Like still, <laughs> still, still plugged in. I'm like, it's like 2020. Why do you, and, and that kind of stuff kind of amuses me. So, um, yeah, but I'm still waiting for my, my consoles to go somewhere near my TV when my children would not, will not just destroy them as they do everything else. Damn. <laughs> Just your, damn, hopes, your, your feelings, feelings. <laughs> your sense of self. Uh, yeah. I, I'm enjoying yeah. all the all the cautionary tales. Thank you. All right, that is two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's a halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. With over 180 classes from a range of world class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. You can improve your culinary skills with Mexican cooking by Gabriela Camara. You can discover the art of business strategy with Bob Iger, learn about disruptive entrepreneurship with, from Richard Branson, and even learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay. I uh, took the class by uh, Apollonia Poulin about bread baking because I, when I have so much spare time, I like to make bread occasionally, and I love to eat bread even more than I like to make bread. But I really enjoyed um, a lot of her uh, tips and her sort of philosophy on approaching it. Um, in particular, I think I've, I mentioned before, she has this whole thing about using all five of your senses to like figure out if your bread is done, like the sound of it and the touch of it and the smell of it. And I thought that was a really kind of a clever, interesting way, something I'd never thought about when it came to bread baking before. So, uh, you know, the ability to learn about that from somebody who is a master of their trade is fantastic. So I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, you can give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash clockwise now. That's masterclass.com slash clockwise. Our thanks to Masterclass for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, what is your topic? Hypothetically speaking, of course, <laughs> lawyers, um, do you now or have you ever shared access to a streaming service? I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the different news we've heard about streaming services working to circumvent uh, the sharing of said streaming services? And now um, Netflix is working on a feature that will kind of let you look through the devices that have logged into your account and then kick some off. So I'm curious about your thoughts on being able to, quote unquote, boot the X, as it were. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. It works both ways. There's a, a soft um, scaling thing that happens with companies when people share logins. Um, and I am absolutely sure that Netflix and Disney and Amazon and everybody else has got absolutely rock solid numbers on the positive effect of login sharing to build their scale and to lock in their market share. 
Um, but you're right, we're starting to see, especially as VC funding starts to shift its focus and as the market matures, these bigger players are beginning to think about extracting more value from their marketplace. So I, I do. Um, my in-laws and I swap services, and I'm not going to name, name which ones, even though I I don't know that I'm definitely doing something wrong. <laughs> I just feel like I am. <laughs> um, but so, so we pay for one and they access it and they pay for the other and we access it. And I'm okay with that. I'm always in favor of creators being paid for their content. But I think unless and until the very simple technological uh, barriers can be put in place to stop you doing that, there is a sort of tacit acknowledgement that that is a reasonable thing to do. And the reason I think that is because companies, generally speaking, at least up until now, haven't bothered themselves about uh, stopping you doing that because, as I say, if they turn a blind eye to that, their network grows and scales and the more people get used to uh, shows appearing on Netflix and not on Disney or vice versa or whatever the combination is, the more they're guaranteeing their future market share. So I'm pretty blasé about it. Yeah, I think I'm probably similar. I mean, I have shared logins before. Um, I still share some logins now, like Chris, with mostly with my in-laws, um, but some with my parents as well. I mean, I think in part because the proliferation of all these streaming services has made it at times inaffordable to subscribe to all the services that you want. So you can go the option of turning stuff on and off, which I do for some stuff, but also sometimes you can sort of like swap things and be like, hey, we're subscribing to this. You subscribe to that. You know, we'll, we'll trade our logins. Uh, moreover, you know, a lot of these services offer uh like profiles right so like you yeah. have the ability to have different profiles which kind of feels like it's tacitly winking at that too um i do think to a certain extent this the writing was always on the wall for this like chris said i think it was something that benefited them in the run up to you know people you know becoming subscribers and growing their their market share etc but, you know, <laughs> let's not get ourselves. These are companies trying to make a profit. And if it ever behooved them, you know, to take that, that, that you know, stuff going on the downward swing and it behooved them to say, you know, all those people sharing accounts, we should probably uh, make them get their own accounts so we can continue to get money. I think that was just a matter of time. So I'm not surprised by this. Uh, it is, you know, throws up a little bit of an annoyance in some places, but it doesn't bother me. I mean, but I think moreover, um, it may end up hurting them in the long run because I think in many cases I'll be more circumspect about which things I decide to actually subscribe to. So, you know, they may end up finding themselves losing some customers as well. I'm sure they've gamed out the, the you know, net gains over time. But um, for me, it might just make me less inclined to sign up for some of these services. Anjay, what about you? Uh, so I got an email from Netflix, uh, uh, which had the headline, Profile Transfer is now available. Oh. Which is apparently you'll be able to kind of move all of your watch history from one account, one profile on one account to another account, right? So you can move it to their, it's, it even says uh, to their own membership that they pay for, <laughs> like it's in the email, right? So I think it's all coming, right? But yeah, it's, it's getting weird. Like, I, I don't know. I think I, I heard, I think it's a quote I heard from John Syracuse on one of his many, many shows now where he said there's just two business plans, like bundling and unbundling, right? <laughs> so I think we're at the I think we're coming to the worst stage of the unbundling part of all of this. So where it's really gonna just cost a lot to kind of watch everything. I have theoretically, maybe hypothetically, uh shared different streaming uh services with other folks. Because of that, pay for the higher plan, especially with mm. Netflix where you get like yeah. four concurrent streams or whatever. So maybe in 
other cases, you would not have a family uh, subscribing to a Netflix or a Hulu or what have you uh, if they weren't able to also share uh, the login. And it is simply because of that that they do so. Um, whereas I think that from the top, these, uh, I always imagine them as folks in suits, feel like if we don't give them that option, then they'll all subscribe. And I don't think that's necessarily the case for people. I think then they'll just have to go elsewhere to find the media because, hey, I, I understand it's hard out there, <laughs> but um, I think people should just take a, a really FM membership, right? And listen to podcasts. Yeah, there you go. More podcasts. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And the last thing I'll say is I am glad that they are giving people the option to remove devices that are on there that they don't recognize, because I think that that should be something that's available on everything. Um, on every account that you have, you should be able to say, okay, I think I may have been hacked or I think somebody might be doing this thing and I want it to be gone. And, um, Unfortunately, not every service does that. All right, let us move on to our next show topic, which comes from Chris. Well, we all know, of course, that the best camera is the one you have with you. But every time I bother to take out my actually quite modest, but still, you know, proper compact system camera with me, the pictures I get out of it are always so much lovelier than the pictures I take with my phone. And so I guess uh, you could answer either... um, a uh, quite deep technical question, which is, will the physics ever let us take good enough photographs to match that quality or we just not, never care about getting that quality of image that we get from DSLRs and evil cameras? Or you can answer, uh, which device did you take your favorite photographs on? Dan, let's start with you. I So I do have an SLR, but it's many years old now, probably almost a decade, and I don't remember the last time I actually used it. Um, it does take fantastic pictures, I have to say. I mean, even for, again, a 10-year-old camera, it really looks great. Um, you know, there are some things you just cannot, as Chris said, with physics, you just can't quite match in an iPhone camera, but an iPhone camera looks pretty darn good. Uh, and having taken a lot of pictures with uh, various iPhones over the last 15 years, um, and taking a lot of pictures more recently, I've taken some fantastic pictures with the iPhone. And I do think for me that that whole camera you have with you adage kind of pans out because I end up actually taking more pictures and thus even, you know, the percentage of higher of, of good pictures among those are higher because I take so many more pictures. Um, so I, I feel like in general, I, I'm pretty happy with iPhone cameras, even if the computational photography isn't as good in some cases, because it means I get shots I wouldn't get otherwise. Andre, what about you? I have a Sony RX100, I think the Mark V. I think the first one that didn't overheat when it shot 4K. <laughs> I think that's the one. And it, yeah, it takes way better photos, right? It's not even a DSLR or whatever, but it's it's a, like a genuinely just way better photos. I'm on the iPhone 13 Pro now, and it used to be on Android phones before, but I still sort of review phones and all of that stuff. So the, the computational photography is like really interesting to me because when I do review phones, I'll always I'll try and take sort of similar shots even if I'll have the phones a couple of weeks or months apart, right? So to kind of get a feel for it. And it's really like with the, the good ones, right? I'm talking about like that, like the, the, the iPhone Pros and then the S22 Ultra and the, the Pixel Pro and all of those phones. Like it's really gotten down to like just like personal preference at this point. Like they all take 
like great photos, right? I actually like personally, I'll prefer what the Pixel kind of do its magic on than what the iOS does, right? Mm-hmm. But they're both like great photos, and you can talk about you know the detail and you know how how well all of the blurring works, which never works. But <laughs> just in terms of the colors and stuff, like it's gotten really good. And then you look at a photo from a like an, a camera camera, right? And it's like, oh yeah, they're still not there yet, right? So I'll, I'll go with the you know physics will always mean pictures will be better with proper cameras but like the phone's there it's in your pocket yeah i have like the most of the photos of my kids are with my phone right like the the sony's there at big occasions and stuff and when i'll do like a portrait shot with uh, the the sony it's so great like it's so much better than anything the phone does it's ridiculous but yeah it's a it's a it's a tiny thing but you still you have to kind of carry it around the battery doesn't last that long and like Dan said, fiddly, fiddly, I think is the, the, the right word without, uh, like any camera where, where you, there's more than one button, basically, and phones have really <laughs> gotten good with one button photography. Cause I bet 99.9% of people on the iPhone just press the button. Nobody goes into the settings. So. I will say I do pretty much just use auto mode on DSLRs, but. While I can get pretty cool, pretty good photos with my iPhone, anytime I've snapped a photo with uh, the DSLR, I'm always like, oh my God, that just, oh, there's something about it. And (laughs) I I can remember, it's so stupid that this is one of my favorite photos because, well, okay, I'm not going to even say that. I... I, oh, it's kind on. of a, <laughs> the, the subject of the photo is a little goofy. It was, I had like made some brownies and I took a photo of, they were vegan brownies and I took a photo of them and I took it with, um, it was when I was working at iMore. And so I had a Panasonic DSLR that was for video first and foremost, but it had just this incredible lens on it. And so I took this very up close photo and just the richness of the blur and the amount of deep dark browns and reds I was able to get out of the brownie. It was just ridiculous. And then, you know, you try to do that with the with a smartphone and it just does, it's not the same. It's not the same. So I don't know. Maybe one day, yes, physics, uh, will be there. But in the meantime, you know, you can do all the computational blurring and all that kind of stuff that you want to do, but it's not even too uncanny valley yet. It's still within the, Oh, I can tell that was done in almost every case by a computer afterward versus being something that was just the way that it was by uh, the very nature of the, the hardware. Uh, Chris, why don't you round us out here? Yeah, I mean, I think computational blurring in particular for this wide aperture faking uh, works quite well for me because I'm bald. So it's a nice, clean, clear, crisp line around my head for it to cut out. Again. <laughs> but I took my, um, again, it's, it's, it's an old camera, my Sony NAX5T, and it's a quite a low-end uh, evil CSC camera out at the weekend uh, or a couple of days ago with my with my kid and just like if you there's a shot which is now my lock screen of my daughter in you know golden hour sun uh with uh on sort of f1.8 i'll shoot and raw and i'll process them afterwards and just a couple of little wispy bits of hair that would have been cut out and destroyed by computational photography because it couldn't have done it and i can't think of a way of physics ever to have dealt with that against the messy backgrounds against and it's definitely true that some of my favorite photographs are taken on my iphone but it's also true that the photographs that uh i can stare at 
<laughs> for hours as I'm looking at my phone or, you know, if, if uh, my wife and I always do this thing where if we're just really stressed as parents, when we finally get our daughter to bed or whatever, we'll just sit and look at pictures of her. <laughs> it's a sort of reactionary uh-huh. thing uh, to try and, I don't know, to reconnect with the cute kid that we know she is. Um, but the ones that I'll sit and stare at are the ones taken on a, on a good camera because the pixels aren't as trying as hard. Like it's just an effortless, gorgeous, luscious photograph. And like, I, I don't think you should feel at all dorky about that description of your brownies, Micah, because something about just the capturing of something special and beautiful and luscious and luxe is an absolute delight. All right, that is four topics. Now we have just enough time for a bonus topic. Um, I want to know what time you get up in the morning, Anjay. <laughs> when my up? son gets up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Mind your business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> sorry. Between uh, eight and nine. Obviously, on days like today, it's eight, and on other days, it's nine. Chris, what about you? Uh, for me, these days, my alarm set for uh, 7.05, which get, get, gives me enough time to get up and put the coffee on. And uh, <laughs> alarm. <laughs> my, my morning ablutions before I then wake up my daughter, wake up my daughter <laughs> and uh, start our day, which is really lovely. But I, man, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm there with you guys. <laughs> I've done my time. I'm not bragging yeah. <laughs> because I, yeah. Yeah, yeah like even knowing what time it is, you know, that's it. And you sort of wake up and you see the clock says it's four o'clock something and you genuinely don't know whether that means a.m. or p.m. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I used to, I, I remember my carefree life of, of waking up between eight and nine, like Micah. Um, my wife has to get up earlier than me. So ever since, you know, basically we've been together, I wake up at like seven at the very latest. Um, and now it's between six and seven let's say although i'm still getting up in the middle of the night too so that's a whole different (laughs) kettle of fish um hey if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week you can become a clockwise member just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and you can sign up for just five dollars per month or fifty dollars a year and you'll help support the show in this week's overtime topic we discuss holiday tech well, we have reached the end of our show. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest this week. Andre Tomic, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, always, always a pleasure. And Christopher Finn, thank you so much for joining us. Always a joy, Mr. Sergeant. And Michael, we'll be back next week, but we remind everybody out there, until then, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>